Well, good morning. Uh, you guys doing all right? Yeah. All right. My name is Chuck. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're going to dive into some uh, some passages. If you want to open your Bibles to Romans, uh, the book of Romans, chapter, uh, you could turn to 12, and that'll be okay. We're going to flip to a couple different passages today, um, and I want to... Uh, I want to start off by saying this to you. I hope that I could be really, really honest this morning. Um, Not only about where I am, um, but where I feel like we are. And um, my only hope and prayer is that you can be honest as well. Um, And so uh, that's where we're going, honesty. Is that okay? It's all right with you? All right. Um, You don't want me to lie to you, right? Okay, um, you know, my wife and I, Barbara, we've been married for almost six years, and uh, in some ways, you know, as a married, if you're married, you understand, or even in lived life, you understand some ways it seems like six months, and in other ways it seems like 16 years, because of all the life that you go through and, and things, especially the last year of our life, and uh, many of you have walked through that with us, and so we appreciate that, but uh, it's funny because when you, I don't mean to scare anybody that if you're engaged, but the reality is, is that you don't have a clue who your wife is or your spouse is until you actually get married. Am I right? Like you learn a ton, not only about them, but also about yourself, right? Uh, before, actually, when you get married, you're living with them in, day in and day out, and the more you get to know them, um, things get a little easier. You, you don't do things that irritate him quite as much, although maybe you do it on purpose now. But there's uh, all these type of things, you know, you, you learn your spouse. Well, when we were first married, uh, two months after we got married, I started seminary full-time. And I was in full-time ministry and in full-time seminary taking six classes. And don't recommend that, by the way. Um, but one of the hardest things was is that l- amount of time that Barbara and I were able to spend together. Well, one night... Um, it's so cool when you're starting off because, you know, we're eating dinner on cardboard box and, you know, just, it's totally cool. But, um, and we even had a blast with it at the time. It was just cool because we had our own place and we didn't have to leave each other at night and whatever. And um, so we're, we're there and uh, she goes to bed and I stayed up a few more hours at least studying. And I go into the room and you leave a lighted room and you go into a dark room dark room and so you see spots now I had learned at this point in our marriage to not turn on the light when my wife is sleeping so note to self by the way if you haven't understood that just embrace it um so I go into the room and I'm trying to be polite walking through and um I go in and I take off my clothes and I get into not entirely sure why I just said that we get into bed and uh, we get it I get into bed Barbara's already in bed I get into bed and, and I am very careful not to wake her up, and I lay down, and I don't have a pillow. That's weird. So I start feeling around. She's got a pillow, but maybe she has two, and I start feeling around. No, she only has one. I'm laying there, where in the world's my pillow? So I get up, right, still seeing spots, and I'm walking around, feeling in the room, I finally get over to the door, our bedroom door that's open, and my pillow is stashed behind the door, 
between the door and the wall. That's not okay. So I grab it and I go, what in the world? So I go back to the bed and I'm thinking, she took my pillow. So somebody's laughing really hard right now, but have you done this? Uh, so I lay down and I'm laying there and I go, hey. Hey, did you take my pillow? What? Did you take my pillow? Good night. Right? So I'm laying there and I just go, what in the world? So I go, I'll deal with that in the morning. So I wake up in the morning, right? And, and Barbara's in the bathroom. She's blow drying her hair. And hey, why'd you take my pillow? She goes, oh, I'm sorry. I was just frustrated because I wanted to, I wanted to spend time and... Um, and we couldn't. So you threw my pillow? I, I don't know. I'm so sorry. She totally apologized, you know, and said, you know, whatever. It was stupid or whatever. Which, it makes no sense to me, right? I'm just like, hey, here's an idea. Tell me, okay? <laughs> don't throw my pillow and make me look for it in the dark. So we're, we had this fun conversation. It was totally cool. But what's interesting is, is that I didn't know my wife well enough to be able to know that she was frustrated when she went to bed. And it's funny because, I don't know if you've ever had this, but it's, it's great in the church lobby. I always wondered how in the world somebody could come up to a guy and say, I'm talking from a guy's perspective, obviously, because I'm one. Comes to the guy and says, hey, would you guys like to go out to dinner after service? And he could look over at his wife and go back and go, No. What just happened? I mean, do they, that's like, that's weird. But the more I'm actually with my wife, literally, and, and those of you that have been married probably for longer than what I have, you honest, I honestly could watch my wife walk and I know what kind of mood she's in, if she's going to be kind of in a free spirit or kind of like, no, I just want to be alone. I, can, I honestly can, can read her. Sometimes I'm wrong. I've never really had that happen yet, but I could be wrong. Uh, no, I have always... A lot, anyways. I can, I can tell what her mood is, all those types of things. And literally, if you ask me that, I could look over and say, yeah, that's cool. Let me, let me check with her. Note to self. That's good. Let me check with her, but I think it'll be okay. But just by looking at her, because I know her that well. Well, you know, what's interesting is, is when I read the Old Testament, the people that knew God the most, and as Christians, we claim to know God, but in the Old Testament, the people that knew God the most were the people of Israel. Now, it's very interesting to watch CNN or Fox News now because of all the things that are happening in that area of the world. And we know biblically that just kind of wonder what God might be doing. But the people of Israel knew God better than anybody. In fact, he was, they were God's, are God's chosen people. And... Uh, Am I the only person that reads the Old Testament and goes, God did this, God did that, God did this. How in the world could the people of Israel be so stupid? Right? I mean, do you ever wonder that? And you're sitting there and just go, how do they not get it? I mean, you read about all these things that God does in their life and their land and all this stuff, and they don't get it. You, you, know, you read stories of like, God flooding an area, not Genesis 6 or anything like that, but flooding an area, sending hundreds of thousands of people in exile after he's done all kinds of other things in their life, 
sends them out in exile, and they still don't get it. And all God's saying is, look, come back to me. Trust in me. I'm your God. You're my creation. Come back to me. And we look at that, and we go, man, the problem is, is that I don't know of a story in the Old Testament that speaks of God flooding an area of hundreds of thousands of people, sending them in exile, but I do know that something just recently happened in New Orleans where an area was flooded and it sent hundreds of thousands of people to use biblical terms in exile. What's interesting is, is I'm not so sure that we're just not as stupid as the people of Israel. You see, we claim, as Christians, we claim to know God and yet we fail to see how he works. Now we read something in the Old Testament and today, you know, God sends droughts, he sends maybe even earthquakes, he sends this and that, and today we call those natural disasters. We read about it in the Old Testament and it's like, man, those people are stupid. How in the world do they not get it? You see, I'm not so sure that I'm not so stupid that I don't realize how stupid I am. Does that make sense? Like, I, I, man, am I really missing it that much? And here's what I want to do today. If you are a Christian, I am asking you just to be honest. If you're a non-Christian, if you're not a Christian, and you're maybe just visiting, or maybe you keep coming here, whatever, but you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, here's what I hope to do for you. I hope to give you a picture of what we as Christians are trying to become, what we should be trying to become. You see, I'm a Christian because I'm not perfect. That's what a Christian is, somebody that understands they're not perfect, and that's why I need Christ. So I hope to give you a picture of what, an accurate picture, hopefully biblically, of what we're trying to become. But here's uh, what I really want to do for everybody. I hope to convince you today that you worship a false God. Whether you are a Christian or not, I hope to convince you of that. A few years ago, I was in India, and uh, we stayed out way out in the boonies, and in these kind of tribal people out there, and we stayed at a, a place there, and um, one night we took a trip, uh, we had some translators, and he was taking us around, just walking to different, a couple different tribes talking to the people, sitting in their huts, sitting, just talking. Um, and in one of the tribes we went to, there was a tree, um, and th- this is what we saw. Um, it's a picture of idols. F- you know, they, they, they worship these, uh, those uh, cement structure there, and they painted them orange, which is a common theme in India, which I haven't totally understood, and down on the ground, you see a lot of that's leaves, but this is an altar that you see. A lot of it's, some of it's leaves, but most of it is rotted food that has been sacrificed to these gods. Um, you see, in, in Exodus chapter 20, it says, you shall not make idols for yourselves. And this is what we think about, is it not? I mean, when we think about that, it's like, man, you 
That's weird. I mean, you can't honestly believe that that's your God. Well, a couple of years ago, I was also in a country called Cambodia. Now, I couldn't find a picture of this, and I wish I could. I looked everywhere. But we went to this temple, and we went inside, and before we got inside, actually, there's this little window. Thanks for the picture. You can take it off. There's a little window where people are literally lined up around the corner, and they're buying stuff. And, and we go into the, the, the area, the you know, sanctuary area, um, to use our terms, and there's people praying, but we go into the back, and it's kind of like a garden area, and there's all these shrines um, there that people are purchasing sacrifice, sacrificial offerings out there, and they're going out and they're laying it before these, these um, shrines. We, they even had as all these holy people of their faith, and, and there was even a shrine for a dog of a holy person there. But the, 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 the most awkward thing was, besides the shrines, it was this huge, it's probably as tall as the ceiling here, if not taller, huge plastic-looking uh, monkey that, that um, had clothes on, but it was like uh, Disney-atized. You know what I mean? It's, it literally looked like something you would see at Disneyland. A huge, massive thing with this uh, container above it that was filled with water. Now what happens is, is people come there and they pray to this thing. This is literal. They come and pray and they, when they give enough money, that God gets washed by that container of water dumping on top of it. And that's how they keep their God clean, by giving enough money. Well, sounds to me kind of weird, right? It, it's a great business. I mean, they're making a ton of money. But it's kind of weird. And when you and I think about idol worship, that's kind of the stuff that we think about. I'm not so sure that you and I aren't just as far off. But we don't realize it. You see, I'm not so sure that we don't worship a false god. In fact, I know that we do, and I want to convince you of that today. I don't want to create a message in which that you would feel guilty and leave feeling guilty. That's not my goal. In fact, I don't even have an application for you other than would you just be honest about it? Not to make you feel guilty, but would you just seriously think about it? Uh, in Romans chapter 12, let's start there. Here's, uh, because if, if I made a strong statement, you worship a false god, so I want to biblically, not culturally, not what you and I would say necessarily, but biblically, I want to see what worship is, because that was a big statement, you worship a false God. So biblically, some of you are very familiar with this passage, but we're going to start off at chapter 12, verse 1. It says this, therefore, whenever you say therefore, it's therefore a reason. So whenever you're reading your Bible, just remember this, don't ever start there. We're going to look before this later, but it's, he's coming out of a thought and leading into another thought. But for the time's sake, time being, we're going to look at how he defines worship, okay? I urge you, brothers, he's talking to Christians, in view of God's mercy, mercy simply means this, not giving you what you deserve. In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, 
This is your spiritual act of worship. So what does he do? Here's how he defines worship. The Bible, scripturally, here's what worship is. Sacrifice. That I, as a Christian, offer living being, offer myself as a living sacrifice to not myself, not to anybody else, but to God. I sacrifice myself so that I could serve him. That is worship. You and I would say, we're going to enter into a time of worship, and what are we talking about? Music. Biblically, worship, not my definition, worship biblically is sacrifice. So here's my question for you. What do you sacrifice for in your life? Because that is what you worship. You see, in our lives, I think, if we're honest about it, we, re- we will quickly realize that we actually sacrifice for ourselves the most. I mean, think about it. What's the American dream? To own a home, right? You sacrifice for that? Absolutely. Absolutely. We sacrifice for that. What does that mean? Biblically, not rationalizing it away from a human perspective. Biblically, what does that mean? I'm not sure I want to be honest about that, but I'm asking us to. We sacrifice for our children. Some of that's biblically demanded. Man, care for your children, raise them in the ways of the Lord. We sacrifice, we'll work harder to have a nicer home. What are we doing? We're sacrificing to have a nicer home. Therefore, what do you worship? We work harder or more to get a nicer car. Catch my heart here. I'm not saying a nice house, nice car is wrong. I'm not getting at that. I'm not trying to apply this in any other way other than what do you sacrifice for in your life? Because that is what you worship. You see, as a Christian, my faith starts, from my perspective, starts with my, me being honest about my sin and the fact that I need a Savior. I have to be honest with the fact that I can't do this thing, that my sin negatively affects my eternal being in the presence of God, and I need a savior, Jesus Christ. I have to be honest about it. And as a Christian, somewhere between that and here, I feel like we lose our honesty. You see, when I became a Christian, I I became a Christian because I didn't want to go to hell. Not a bad thing, right? I certainly don't want to go there. But I understood that Christ died for me that he saved me from my sins, that he's going to bless me, and that he has a plan for my life. All true statements, are they not? But is that not entirely me-focused? You see, as a newborn Christian, as a, uh, that's totally fine. All true statements. Christ did die for me. He did do that for me. But at some point, you and I, we need to become honest with ourselves and realize that our life is not about what God can do for me. That's not why I worship God. 
it, it becomes more of, if I worship God, that means that I sacrifice for him, that I'm not living for me. And if you're anything like me, and my, you will find yourself with a comfort zone in which I like my imaginary Christian faith. I say I worship God, but I really have this comfortable life. I have everything that I want. Couldn't use more. I don't really have to sacrifice. In fact, as my wife and I talked about it a couple weeks ago, we were driving to a conference I was speaking at, and we're talking about it. What do we, have we ever actually given out of sacrifice? Have we ever gone without something so that we could give? See, if you're anything like me, you, you come to the, re, the resolution that I give as long as I continue to have what I have. You see, oops, that is sacrificing for who? But it appeases my guilt that I give more to other people, but it's not about that, it's really about me. As long as I have what I have, you see, sacrificial living equals worship. And what I will try to convince you of is what you have a high view of, you will sacrifice for, therefore you will worship. You follow me? Turn over to uh, the book of Matthew. Keep your finger there on Romans, though. I want to uh, walk through this passage with you. Um, Matthew chapter 6. Todd's been spending some time here and going through some things. And um, this process for me, you guys, has been literally about five months of thinking through and trying to be honest about this. And so I'm going to share with you some of the honesty, as I have been, of what the conclusions I've come to in my own life and that um, we need to think through. And so Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, he says, when you give to the needy. As a believer, it's not like if you think it's a great idea, it's assumed that you are giving to the needy. Verse 5, it says, when you pray, not if you think it's a great idea, but it's assumed that you will be praying. Now, in verse 9, he starts to explain. He says this. This is then how you should pray. Okay, if I'm assumed I should be praying, then I should figure out how I should be praying. Here he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. See, if I'm honest about it, I'm awfully concerned about what people would think about my name. In fact, I'll sacrifice for it. I'll sacrifice for, I'll go out of my way to make sure somebody might view me in a different way. You probably struggle with that. Or view me in a positive way, I should say. Or not view me in a negative way. But it's not about my name, it's about God's name. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is this not the scary prayer? God, I don't care what you have to do, just accompl- I just want to be in your will, your will be done with my life. I don't care what you have to do, what you have to take away, nothing. Is that not a scary prayer? Why is it scary? Because we have a high view of ourselves. Because it's really not about sacrificing for God, it's really about me. In my comfort, non-pain world, it's about me. And here's what I'm asking. 
And we're going to look at another verse here in Matthew, a couple of other verses here in chapter 6. But here's the deal. As a Christian, it starts with honesty. Now, if I say I base my entire eternal life on this book, first off, I should probably read it. I mean, is that not the most hypocritical thing in the world? I base everything I believe, my entire life, on this thing. How often do you read it? Well, I don't really know it. Isn't that not weird? Not to say that to become a Christian, you have to know everything about it. I'm not saying that. But as a Christian, I should be honest about it and authentic and say, man, everything I believe about my life and about eternity is based on the truths of this book, so I want to know it. That makes sense. Second of all, I am not interested in having this imaginary Christian faith that's not biblical but makes me feel good about my life. I don't want to have this false sense of security that I'm doing everything right, I have the best of both worlds, but yet it's totally unbiblical. You see, honesty as a Christian would say this, I truly, if I say I believe that, I truly want to be honest with it in my own life. That, is, that seems to make sense to me. I don't want to have this imaginary Christian faith. I want to have an authentic faith that's honest about where I'm at, where God has me, and even though I'm not where I should be, I want to be honest with where I am and not live in this imaginary world. You see, verse 11 says, give us today our daily bread. He prays for a legitimate need. It's not, God, I pray that you would stack my cupboards full of food so I could feel secure. That's not what he prays. Not that it's a bad thing, but that's not what he prays. He prays for a need. If I'm honest about it, you know what my prayer life is like? It's, if you're anything like me, your prayer life surrounds largely around your desires, not your needs. You know, Barbara was uh, walking. She went for a walk outside of her house and just around, and there's building a ton of new homes up there. You know what she did? She came back, she goes, you know, I don't know if I should walk around there anymore. I start to want all that stuff. See, it's a desire. And here's, here's where the idolatry comes in. You see, he says, for your will be done. Idolatry comes in when we start to think we start to place our desires above God's will. It happens like this. If God doesn't do what we want, we get mad. We'll even doubt our faith in God. Why? Because he doesn't give us what I want. Oops. That is idolatry. That is a God that now is serving you. That's weird. A, a couple of, um, and again, I, I'm, this is a confession to you. This is where I'm at. This is the things I'm thinking through, my wife and I. And I really believe that as a church, we, as Christians, we really need to think through this. I'm sitting over Easter, uh, over Easter break time with um, a friend of mine. He's a pastor at a church, a great friend of mine. We went to college together, lived together. And he and his wife have been struggling with having a, a baby, a child. And... Uh, some of you have been there or are there or at least know somebody that's been there. But he was sitting there and he starts, he's, 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 he's literally doubting God, questioning whether God even is there or not. 
And he says this to me, he says, God, Chuck, isn't God supposed to give me the desires of my heart? And here's what I said to him. Honestly, this is what I said to him. You have a weird idolatry thing going on right now. You see, think about this from an outside perspective. This is what I'm saying to him. You're sitting here saying, God's not giving me what I want, so I'm angry and bitter at him because he's not giving me what I want. Well, who's God in this situation? Is it his will or yours? And the only reason why I could see that in his life is because I've been thinking through it for my own life. Man, is it really about you or is it about his will? Because in this prayer it says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my desires. Jesus prays for desires. He understands what he's going to go through on the cross for you and for me and for himself. And so he says, God, take this cup from me. But the very next phrase out of his mouth, but not my will, but yours. You see, he had it right. He has, understands that God's will is far superior than our desires. It's not wrong to pray for desires, but it's not above God's will. And we are at a point in which we idolize ourselves so much that when God doesn't give us what we want, we then become angry at him and a good God wouldn't do that. You see, we missed it. That is idolatry. You see, turn back to Romans chapter uh, 11, 12. We're going to look at chapter 11. You see, here's the point of today. What you have a high view of, you will sacrifice for. Therefore, you will worship. Biblically, worship is sacrifice, right? Sacrifice is worship. And what I'm trying to get across to you biblically here is what you have a high view of, you will sacrifice for, therefore you will worship. That's why I'm asking you what you sacrifice for. If you want to know what you have a high view of, look at what you sacrifice for. You see, in chapter 11, verse 33, this is what he says. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. Completely separated high view of God. Not focused on what God does for me. Completely there. In fact, he even says this. You can't even search out how God's judgments work out. I mean, basically he's saying, Chuck, you're really that stupid. As a human being, you can't, who, what human being can figure out how God works? He goes on and he says this, although God's revealed some of it to us. He says this, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who? Who knows God's mind? The obvious answer, right, would be nobody. Then he says this, or who has been his counselor? Well, we, we are, right? I mean, God, you, I don't think you understand. This family's really hurting. You have to do something here. What am I doing? I'm counseling God as to what he should do. I'm his counselor. I'm telling God what he should do for me and for my life. And if he doesn't do it, then I'm going to get angry at him. Oops. You see, I'm, that's an imaginary Christian faith. That's not putting God in his highest point where he belongs. Well, I don't even need to put him there. He is there. I need to recognize that he is there. 
a high view of him. In my mind, I need to have a high view of God because what I have a high view of, I will sacrifice for, therefore, I will worship. Now watch this. Verse 35. Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? Have you ever thought, God, I mean, I'm faithful. I do this. I tithe faithfully. Why did you do this? How could you do this to me? As if God owes me something for being a faithful creation. You know, I get, we get angry. How could God take this from me when I have been so faithful? Well, he says, who's ever given to him that he should repay you? The whole point is it's not about you, Chuck. It's not about you, creation. That's the point. High view of God. And then he says this, verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever, amen. Therefore, I urge you brothers, Christians, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him. This is worship. You see, a high view of God naturally will play itself out in sacrifice for him. That's how it plays out. The imaginary Christian faith says, oh no, I worship God, God's everything to me, but yet if he doesn't give me what I want, I'm gonna get angry and confused and bitter. The biblical Christian faith is this. I understand that God is God. There's a big difference between God and Chuck, and that is he doesn't think he's Chuck. And I worship him not because what he's done for me. I worship him because of who he is. I hear people say this all the time. The only reason why I worship God is because of what God's done for me. Whoa. Oops. That's entirely me-focused. You see, biblically, God is who he is, and I worship him because of who he is. Verse 33 of chapter 11 through the end. He's coming out of all these things in chapter one of Romans. Man's going away. All these things, man's sins in chapter three. All these things. And now he goes into high view of God and he says, look, this is who God is. This is who you are. Therefore, worship. So I ask you, who do you worship? What do you worship? And you can ask, answer that question by what do you sacrifice for the most in your life? See, all I'm, again, all I'm asking for is honesty. A few years ago, I was speaking at a camp, and um, uh, Bill Lucas, our junior high pastor, his little boy, Joel, was there. And I think Joel was about four at the time. And I walk out of my cabin, and Joel is just covered in dirt. He's like total boy, you know? And he has a stick and he's digging in the dirt. And I ask him, I go, I go, hey Joel, what are you doing? He goes, digging for a treasure. And he's digging. I'm like, oh, how cool, you know? And I go, what are you gonna do when you find it? And he goes, there isn't a treasure. <laughs> I go, okay. Well, what happened? I don't understand what he's saying. Okay, Joel, well. What happens if you, you don't think there's a treasure, but what happens if you actually find one? 
And he goes, there's not a treasure. <laughs> okay. But Joel, you, you're, you're four, dude. So here's the deal. Like what happens, you don't think there's a treasure, but what happens if you actually find a treasure? He stands up and he goes, there's not a treasure, I made it up. <laughs> and I was like, okay, dude. Have fun digging for your treasure that's not there, you know? And I left. It's so cute, though. It's so cute. And part of me, if I'm honest about it, I really would like to be able to do that. <laughs> but I'm not so sure that I don't. You see, essentially what Joel said was, Chuck, don't mess with my world. I like it. I know that there's no treasure there, but don't mess with my world because I'm imagining this thing and I'm having a good time. See, and I'm asking this. I wonder if we're not willing to be honest about this because we actually like our imaginary world of the Christian world. I wonder that if you may be looking at me and saying, dude, don't mess with my world because I like it. I mean, I can come to church and in people's eyes, I'm great. I have this eternal security and I can have all the things in this life that I want. And I'm asking, well, biblically, I mean, does it make sense to fool ourselves? Oh, I know worship is a lifestyle and a sacrifice, but we never do anything about it. Well, I, I'm just not interested in this imaginary faith. I, I just, I'm being honest, I'm just not. I'm not interested in tricking myself, and I don't think you are either. I, I'm just wondering, what do I actually sacrifice for? What do I truly worship? And that rocks my world. It totally rocks my world. And if I'm honest with you, I'll say this. I almost don't even want to be honest with it. Because I'm going to have to do some things in my life. And as my wife and I talk about it, man, talk about uncomfort. In a couple things, because I realize that my life has to change a little bit. But I also realize that I am so stupid, I don't realize how stupid I am. I really have had this thing confused so much of my life that it's really about me. I would never, ever say that, especially as a pastor. But if I'm real about it, I think I have to. I honestly think I have to. You know, and God does weird things in our lives, really weird things. But our job, our faith should not be based upon our circumstances. It should be based upon who God is and our proper response as his creation. See, God's desire is that we would love him as much as he loves himself. It's not about you and me. Although thankfully what God has done applies to us even eternally. But it's really not about us. It's about God being glorified. To him be the glory forever. So what do you worship? 
What do you sacrifice for? Just be honest about it. Whether you're a Christian or not, what is it? Because what you have a high view of, you will sacrifice for, therefore, you will worship. Retirement, safety, security, whatever it is you sacrifice for. And I'm just throwing out things that I've processed through or am processing through. I don't know what it means for you. That's why I don't have an application for you other than would you just be honest about it? None of us are where we should be, but at least we could be honest about where we are and ask God to help us. And that's the basis of the Christian faith, right? Authenticity, not hypocrisy, authenticity. So here's what we're gonna do. Uh, Jim and I talked about this week and because we really wanna embrace the fact of scripture that it is a lifestyle, not music or, music is great, it can be expression of worship, it's proclamation, praise, all those things. But biblically, worship is a living sacrifice. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and sacrifice anything. I'm not telling you that. All I'm saying is, would we be willing to leave and be honest? And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and then hopefully we can take a step closer to authentic worship in our Christian faith and not continue to live an imaginary Christian faith and to help us think through that as much as we can. And so I'm going to ask God to help us, and then uh, we'll go. God, we stand before you. Uh, We recognize that we're standing before you right now. as your creation and you are as our creator. And God, we recognize that you have, in in the scriptures, you have articulated to us that it's what authentic worship is. But yet, God, we confess to you, and and I do, and those in this room that are like me, we confess to you that we're off. That God, we have made idols for ourselves and of ourselves. God, we confess that it's so easy to look at other people and condemn them for the idolatry, but we're not willing to even look into a mirror. God, I, I pray that you would help us to know you more, to recognize who you truly are and that we can have a high view of you because we know how that plays out in our lives. God, thank you for being honest with us. And God, I pray for your help that we could be honest with ourselves. God, for all the, the, the desires and needs that we have, God, from people in the hospital or, or uh, the desires and needs that we have, God, we pray that you would, we pray for miracles of healing, we pray for uh, all the desires in here that were prayed for, God, 
But God, we, we, we follow that up, but not our will be done, but yours. Your will be done in our lives, God. We honor and praise you. And God, walk with us as we seek to, to worship you. Thank you for all that you give us in your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.